Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 142 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. In our last episode, we talked about ways to approach your participation in social media without feeling too overwhelmed. It's December, and it's time to take a look at legal technology developments in 2014 and give you our take on this year's developments. It's also time for us to pay homage to one of the podcasts that inspired us to do this show and to borrow parts of its format. Tom, what's on our agenda for this episode? Well, Dennis, in this episode of the Kennedy Mile Report, we'll be discussing the year in legal technology using the format of one of our favorite sports shows. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can start using the second this podcast is over. But first, it's time for Pardon the Legal Technology Interruption. The ESPN sports show Pardon the Interruption, or PTI for short, is one of our favorite sports shows. Uh, We both listen to by podcast, by the way. Uh, As has been our habit the past few years, we wanted to pay tribute to that format in one of our last podcasts of the year. So let's take a look at Legal Tech 2014 PTI style with three segments. We're going to do toss-up, what's the word, and odds maker. We'll be moving fast, so let's get started. Dennis, do you want to get us started on the first segment? Well, our first segment is called Toss Up, where we each take different sides of an issue. In Toss Up, please remember that we are forced to take opposing positions whether we agree with them or not. So let's play Toss Up. Tom, Toss Up number one, phones or phablets? Well, let's first of all say they're not phablets, okay? Yes, the iPhone 6 Plus and the the Galaxy Note 4 and the Nexus 6, they're bigger than the iPhone 6 and some of the other things, but are you still going to draft documents on it? Are you still going to use it in court to present evidence? I don't think so. That's because the phone screen is still too small. It's big, but I like a big screen for my old eyes, not because I can use it like a tablet. So I I, I really like them, but I'm not going to call them phablets. So... What I hear you saying is you like the bigger phones. I sort of like f- smaller phones still uh, these days, although I'm coming around to the point of view that I really don't use phones as to make calls much anymore. And so I, th- I sort of think they make sense as a, sort of your personal area network server. So with Bluetooth, the other accessories, maybe even the, the, the coming watches, smartwatches, I don't know that the size of the phone or the size of the screen is, is ultimately going to be all that important. But I still lean toward the phones these days. I don't know. It sounds like you're making an argument for a phablet. All right, toss-up number two, passwords versus advanced security techniques. Dennis, Passwords. Okay, so passwords. Oh, this is a hard one to make the argument for, Tom. I gotta, I gotta say, but uh, I, th- I think that passwords. People are starting to do a little better job on it. Password is not the most common uh, password anymore. You're definitely seeing a move toward password managers. So there's more tools out there. Uh, sites also force you to pick stronger or to create. Uh, stronger passwords. So I, I think that the password situation might have actually improved in the last year. I'll take the uh, I'll take the opposite approach and look at other 
tools that are stronger than passwords. I, I have to believe and I have to say that multi-factor authentication is the way to go now. We've already seen how some hacks could have been avoided with two-factor authentication and, and loading up a tool like Google Authenticator or Authy, put it on your phone. It's, it's really an easy way to uh, add that extra layer of security. I know that not everyone is a fan of biometric tools like Apple's Touch ID for accessing uh, an iDevice with your fingerprint, but I think the technology is good enough that it would take a pretty sophisticated individual to hack it with a fake fingerprint. I think that the bigger worry may be law enforcement. I think given that a recent court opinion found that a fingerprint wasn't protected by the Fourth Amendment and could be coerced from its owner. Dennis, what's next? Uh, Toss-up number three, to cloud or not to cloud? (sighs) Okay, how did I get stuck with the to not to cloud, the anti-cloud answer. Because I I wrote the, I I, did the script. Because you did the script. Okay, I'm going to give the typical response then. Documents you store on your own device can be more secure to the extent they're in your control and you can access them even if the internet is down, which is more than you can say for a cloud tool. But I'm going to go a little bit beyond that and say that if you're scared of the cloud, if you don't want a cloud and you want to not cloud, then try a private cloud, which is sort of a middle ground. Use something like the file transporter, which we both really like. So you can still access your files everywhere, but they stay, I'll say, reasonably secure in your office or home where you arguably have better control over them. And I say, Tom, I I just don't think uh, this question is starting to pass us by a little bit. Because I I think that so many people are using the cloud whether they realize it or not, uh, especially with mobile apps and and other things like that. I just don't see how uh, this, this notion of control and it's all at your location and all on this hard drive on you know one hard drive or some backup drives that, that you have in one location I it doesn't work to me as well as having that plus stuff kept online and on multiple uh, hard drives in in data centers I I'm more of a cloud fan than ever these year, these days. All right. Well, that takes us to toss-up number four, innovation coming from outside traditional legal services providers or from inside the legal market. Well, Tom, we went to the Futures Conference this year, and I was really intrigued by the ways that there are a lot of, uh, there's a lot of venture capital, there are a lot of ideas of people applying technology to delivery of legal services. I think some of it's still in the early stages, but I th- I think that the the most interesting and innovative new ways to use technology in the delivery of legal services um, are coming from outside the legal profession itself. I do tend to think that a lot of innovation really has been coming from outside the traditional legal market, from from companies who are good at innovating, but without a lot of legal experience. I think we're seeing some, I, I, I guess people would call them disruptors that are coming in. But like we discussed in that podcast about the future conference, I think that's changing. I think what we're seeing law firms, we're seeing certainly seeing law students and other groups that are really starting to think about how the practice of law can be improved, um, you know, by introducing innovation. That the ideas that we saw at that futures conference are really just one example, and we're starting to see more and more of these hackathons put on by law schools or other legal groups, where those in the legal field are getting together and coming up with some pretty interesting ideas. I think we're still early days on this. I'm waiting for the time when these ideas start finding their way into the mainstream legal market, but uh, I'm encouraged by that. Dennis, what's our last toss-up? And toss-up number five is, was 2014 a year where new technologies caught our attention, or did it just seem like it was more of the same? I hate to say it, Dennis, 
but I think that 2014 was a really, really boring year in technology, legal or otherwise. Yeah, there were new phones and new tablets, a couple of new social media sites that no one cares much about. But what else can you point to, really? Even Google Glass, which I think was supposed to be the hot new wearable technology. Everybody was talking about getting glass, and we're all going to be talking about getting glass. And uh, it's hardly mentioned this year. Nobody talks about it anymore. I, I really can't wait for 2014 to be over, so maybe we can get something new and interesting in 2015. You know, I think that uh, there were some interesting things. I, I think they're hard to find because a lot of it's happening under the hood, and we'll we'll sort of see the benefits of those in the in the next year or two. But I also s- sort of feel like you, Tom, the things that really excited me this year are th- things that still fall in the category of document assembly, which is something I did, you know, years and years and years ago. So I, I think there's new stuff sort of percolating out there, but to actually be able to point to one or two things where you say, oh, 2014 was the year of X, I didn't see that either. Well, and that does it for Toss Up. Let's go on to What's the Word, Uh, our next segment. That's where we take a legal technology sentence, fill in our own words, and uh, as usual, I win. So here's the first one. Dennis, from the perspective of 2014, in the battle between human document review and predictive coding, humans are blank. I say evolving. And we we tried this once before, and I said that humans were toast a couple (laughs) of years ago. But I, I sort of think that the humans have made a little bit of a comeback here. And so I, I think it's more that, uh, you know, people are saying, what, how can we use these tools in a way that involves h- humans in the most productive ways, in the most efficient ways, in the, in the places where humans are used, used best? So I think uh, as we start to use these technologies, the role of humans is, is evolving, especially by the people who really get this technology. And, and the word that I choose to use is surviving. Humans are surviving. I ended up the last segment talking about boring. I'll start this segment saying that from as far as I'm concerned, from a predictive coding standpoint, it was a boring year for them too. I think that's a, both a good and a bad thing. First, for lawyers and firms who are using predictive coding on a regular basis, we're seeing that courts are more accepting. Uh, we're not seeing that it's a big battle anymore. Courts accept that it is a recognized technology and that, and that manual review is probably the more flawed way of doing that. And they're pretty much allowing predictive coding as a matter of course whenever a party wants to do it. Uh, it's I just think it's not that big a deal. That said, there's a lot of lawyers out there who are not using predictive coding. And I'd wager that in a lot of those cases, that's not a huge deal. uh, Because outside of the biggest firms and the biggest companies, I'm making a guess that it just doesn't get used as often as more traditional forms of review, whether that's fair or not. Uh, As more and more information is created, I think more lawyers are going to start turning to predictive coding to manage review just out of necessity. But I really think a lot of lawyers are doing just fine without it. Thank you very much. Dennis, what's up next? Social media usage by lawyers and law firms is still blank. Misunderstood. I still think that lawyers don't understand enough about social media to know how or whether it might help them. I hate to say it, but if you look at the Legal Technology Resource Center report, 70% of lawyers don't have blogs, the same amount aren't on Facebook, and even more aren't using Twitter or Google Plus or other social media tools. I think it has a lot to do with a lack of education or maybe appreciation for how tools can help, how these social media tools can help with networking, with professional development, with marketing, that uh, it's, it's not just about, you know, talking about what you had for dinner or what movie you're going to see. 
And my word is largely untapped. And I echo some of the things that, that you were saying, Tom. I, especially after we did the last episode of the podcast, I've been thinking about social media and the questions that I get from, from lawyers. And I, it just seems like they're just barely touching the surface of what you can do with social media. They get there. I think they're confused as to what results to expect. And I think if you could just kind of took a step back, focused on one or two areas of social media, lawyers, a lot of lawyers would find a lot of potential that they just are only on the, the surf, surface of these days. Yep, I, I agree. Okay, next sentence, Dennis, number three, the impact of the Windows Surface tablet on lawyers will be blank. I'd say paradoxical for a couple reasons. First of all, I th I think that Microsoft is doing commercials for the Windows Surface tablets that are really good, that really make people think. And so, but why I say paradoxical is for two two reasons. So one is the cost because to get the the Windows Surface tablet that's probably what you want to use you, you're talking well over a thousand dollars so I'm surprised that uh, I would be surprised that lawyers associate or law firms especially associate the tablets with that that price point so I think that that's a paradoxical uh, thing and and may inhibit the growth of them the other thing I think is is interesting about them is that uh, one of the big selling points that lawyers uh, talk about is that you can use the whole Microsoft Office suite on the tablets. And that's that's a big deal, they say. And But then I say most lawyers use, they don't really use Excel. They only use a you know, very small percentage of the features of Microsoft Word. Most of them don't know how to use styles or to use Microsoft uh, uh, Word in, in the way it's supposed to. So it's paradoxical that there's such an interest in these Windows Surface tablets among lawyers. And my word is transformative. And I guess maybe I should say the potential to be transformative of, of all the tablets released in the past few years, I think the Surface has made the most inroads against the iPad as a tablet of choice for lawyers. That's not saying a lot. The iPad is still more popular than the Surface by a long margin. But but Dennis, you, you talk about how they don't use features of Word, they don't use Excel. That's not really the point. The point is, is that the firms are still using Microsoft Office. I think that you're almost making an argument that they should all get Chromebooks and use Google Docs and 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 not have to worry about using the features of Word or Excel. Um, I, I, the 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 benefit of having a Windows Surface tablet is that you can get full Office, you can get full Adobe Acrobat, you can get full programs on a device that works and feels a lot like a tablet. Um, I still don't think that it makes for a good trial presentation tool because this is an area where a full program like Sanction or Trial Director or something like that that you're going to take to trial, it won't work because you need something, a program that's made for the tablet, like Trial Pad for the iPad. Uh, I, I, I think it sort of defeats the purpose to, to go to court to uh, with, a, with a Surface tablet. You might as well just have your trial technologist bring it with you. But that said, I'm very interested to see how lawyers take to the surface. Dennis, what about the next sentence? Uh, bring your own device is, is an important trend that we're seeing. And so 
the sentence is, BYOD has become the lawyer's blank. Opportunity. I know some of our friends hate, hate, bring your own device. But the truth is, it has led to, I think, some pretty interesting changes in law firms and other companies in general. I would argue that consumer demand for certain technologies in the workplace led directly to the decline and perhaps the eventual demise of BlackBerry. That would be my argument. BYOD, I think, can be a real pain from an administrative and a security standpoint, but I do know of several law firms, several companies, too, who are actually advocating for increased BYOD from a cost perspective. It's cheaper to implement mobile device management on a corporate or enterprise-wide scale than it is to purchase a whole inventory of phones and tablets. So I think that there's a, a, a big case that's starting to be made um, from an economic standpoint that they're choosing to try to beef up the security in any way that they can because the alternative is to spend a lot of money. And I say BYOD has become the lawyer's friend. I think that a lot of law firms, you're talking about update cycles on uh, PCs and laptops that is running three, four, five years. And so with BYOD, I think you have the opportunity to get the phone that you want, the smartphone that you want, the tablet that you want, uh, perhaps even the laptop that you want, and be able to work the way that you want to do. Uh, and so I, I think that with the management tools, the the other technologies that, that underlie BYOD, uh, this is all a big plus. And then I also think time that the BYOD has also become the lawyer's friend because it's opened up whole new areas of discovery opportunities for the really technology knowledgeable lawyers when they're involved in cases where people, people companies are using BYOD. And here's our last, what's the word? Uh, number five, lawyers facing technology choices have never been more blank. Dennis. I say clueless. And it's partially because I've had the number of times this year people have come up to me and either made comments or asked me questions that just caused my jaw to drop. It's, it's, it seems like more than ever. And so I think that there's a number of reasons for that. There's a lot of new technologies. You know, we talked uh, the last episode about how many different social media things are. We're talking about BYOD, uh, tablets, phablets, phones, uh, all, all sorts of different software, the cloud, all these things. So there's a tons of choices. But I, I, I worry a bit that uh, that a lot of lawyers are just abdicating what they need to to learn to keep up with that and kind of just retreating to the, the old tried tried and true, which means they're just falling backwards and losing potential competitive advantage. Well, Dennis, where you say clueless, I say fortunate. Never before, I think, have lawyers had so many opportunities to learn about their technology choices and, and what are the best choices to make. Uh, we've talked about this in past podcasts. There's a ton of technology podcasts out there that talk about how to use technology from both a legal standpoint and from a, just a personal standpoint. There's more and more websites that have good practical information on what to buy. I know the Legal Technology Resource Center, the ABA, is a fantastic resource for teaching lawyers more about technology. You and I I both know that ABA Tech Show is a great way to learn about legal technology and have experts, you know, really accessible experts, give good advice on technology selection. But but you don't really need to go to Tech Show. I mean, many, many states offer great legal technology conferences. They, they're just kind of waiting for lawyers to take advantage to get some education. I've never seen there be more opportunities for, uh, for lawyers to learn more about their technology choices. 
And I think that's it for what's the word. And I win in yet another amiling victory. Really? Amiling, Dennis? Did you write this script? All right. Well, before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsor. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry. Connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high-volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit www.servenow.com. We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. Now it's time for Oddsmakers, where we predict the legal technology stories for the coming year. Number one. The odds that at least three lawyers will tell us WordPerfect 5.1 for DOS was the best software program ever and that they still use it. <laughs> well, was, so the, the operative word there is was the best software program. I would say that's an easy 100% chance. I am predicting it's 100% odds that I will hear three people say that over the course of the next year. Every time someone mentions WordPerfect, and I know that you're and my friend Adriana Linares was just with a client who was transitioning from Word, uh, WordPerfect to Word even in 2014, but you're going to find every time somebody talks about WordPerfect, there's at least three people who sound wistful for the good old days of reveal codes, don't you think? Never mind that with the rollout of the iPad app, Corel really displayed an amazing lack of mobile technology understanding because that app was a failure from the from the get-go, but easily 100% there. And I'm going to say 100% too, and probably it will happen all at once, the three people, where one person will say it <laughs> and two other people will jump in and agree with them. It's really astounding to me, and and I think you're right that I, I'm, I'm always shocked when uh, it's usually Adriana, it seems like, is telling us that she's found another law firm still, still running on DOS. Uh, so it's still out there. Uh, people s- still love it for reasons I can't understand, but uh, it, always, it always shocks me every year f- that we, we get those comments. All right, Dennis, next odds makers. What are the odds that two or more state bar disciplinary groups will issue rules about lawyers using technology that will baffle lawyers who actually use that technology? Boy, this one, it feels like another 100 percenter to me. I, I guess the real trick was that we could probably even almost name those those states. But I, th- I think what's concerning about the, the regulation is, is sort of uh, hidden in this question, and that's that people are using this technology and you get rulings that uh, it's either impossible to comply with or you don't understand or you know that the people making the rulings don't understand how the technology actually works works. Um, and then the other thing is that the technology has changed and something new is going on. Uh, and so so I think as the, the typical practicing lawyer who uses a lot of technology ends up being very confused and just wants to comply with the rules, but can't even understand how to do that. So Dennis, the question I think sets the bar pretty low. You're only asking for two or more state bar disciplinary groups, but I'm actually going to take a contrary approach here. Really, when was the last time 
that rules like that were issued. I can't remember. I, I, and I, may, I may have forgotten or I may be, have some selective memory when it's concerned, but let's take cloud computing. Every state bar that has weighed in on cloud computing so far has given the right response, has taken what you and I and others would believe is the right response, that reasonable care is the standard. I think ethics groups have traditionally been behind the times when it comes to technology, but I, I think I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt here. You know, last week, or I guess it was a week or so ago, there was a story from Canada that uh, that the Canadians were going to issue some sort of rule that you couldn't use cloud services if you were a lawyer, and that turned out to just not be correct. That actually it's it's going to be another uh, reasonable care standard that's coming out of there. So I'm going to actually, like I said, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt here, and I'm just going to say there's a 10% chance of that happening. A little bit different from your answer there, Dennis. What's next? What are the odds that a lawyer's next computer will be a Mac? You know, this is a question for solo and small firm lawyers, right? I mean, I, I, big firms are not going to go to Macs anytime soon. Uh, I, I do think lawyers are adopting Macs more and more often. But if you look at the most recent Legal Technology Resource Center uh, survey, it puts the number of lawyers using Macs at only about 6%. So I can't believe that the the uptake will be that tremendous. I know I'm, I'm one of those lawyers who actually switched to a Mac last year. Year, but it was my home computer. I'm still a Windows user at work. And, and like I said, unless I, unless you're a solo or a small firm and you can easily uh, change a few computers over to Macs from Windows, I think that, uh, that, that that's, that's just too high a mountain to climb. So I'm going to, again, put this number also really low and say 5%. Well, there's sort of a... I- Put a little trick question in here because if the neck if the lawyer's next computer is a home computer, I'm saying fifty percent. But I think it if it's uh, gonna be the work fine. computer, it will be in the fifteen to twenty percent range. And because I think that sort of reflects about where the the market is these these days and and then the max share of, of that market. I tend to disagree with you a little bit on uh, not finding big firms and corporate law departments considering max because I think that's out there. I think that's one of the hidden uh, pieces of, of BYOD. And then I also think lawyers who are involved with uh, technology clients, I think just bringing in the, the Mac laptop makes a difference and makes them you know more uh, in line with what their what their clients clients are using. So I, th- I think a bit more. I still think we're in a whatever 15, 15 or so percent range, but a little bit of an uptick. Just look at this. Just look at the LTRC survey. Big firms are never more than one to two percent in, in the Mac area. So I, I'd love it if that increased. But anyway, I'm just going by what the numbers say. So next, next uh, odds makers question, Dennis: the odds that lawyers will attend at least one seminar in the next year about legal technology that will help their practices. Well, the odds are that. The, this question is designed 100% to let people know that we will be speaking at ABA Tech Show 2015 in, in April. But I, as I think about this, I, I think that uh, it's actually a fairly f- small percentage of lawyers in general, because when you add up the, the total of lawyers who are at the different technology conferences, national, state, and all of that, I would be hard-pressed to get it to, to more than five six percent uh, of lawyers now I'd say of listeners to this very podcast that could go up to sixty percent or, or so but I, I think the real question then becomes that if you're a listener to this podcast and you're going to these conferences what can you do with technology to uh, to give yourself a competitive advantage over over all of those lawyers who don't even bother 
Well, and and I think if I if I didn't know better, I would think that you were looking at my outline because you said almost exactly what I was going to say. I think this is going to be a low number for me too. Um, as many seminars and conferences that there are on legal technology, we just don't see enough lawyers attending them. I I'm probably like you said, preaching to the choir here because I would guess that most of the people who listen to this podcast are the type to go to at least one seminar or conference on legal technology. Maybe this is a maybe this is a a, a plea to to have all of our listeners go to a friend and, and, you know, help a friend out and bring them to a technology conference or let them know, uh, because I'm sure that you all know someone who could do better or who could understand more about legal technology. But but if we're talking an in-person conference, I'd say the odds, I, I'm going to go a little higher than you. I'm going to say about 10%. But if you include webinars or online conferences, because your question did not specify, I think, uh, I'd bump that up to about 25%, the chance that a lawyer might attend. At least I, that's my hopeful, optimistic view. Dennis, what's next the last one the odds that the new legal killer app will actually appear in 2015 well what's a killer app really i haven't really heard that term used i mean i've heard it used but not really in a way that i would be convinced with since it was applied to email i mean and and you tell me has there been another killer app since that time i if we apply that level of definition to it then i'm going to be really pessimistic and say Zero percent. I'm really skeptical that anything that groundbreaking is going to come out in the next year. If we're, if we're instead talking about some uh, interesting new apps or websites or tools that, that law students or some of the innovators that we talked about earlier are introducing, being an important contributor to legal technology in the coming year, then I'm willing to bump that up to a solid 25%. And I guess I'm just sort of pessimistic for this episode. Well, and I, I tend to agree with you, Tom. I, I would say uh, basically a 0% chance on the killer app uh, because I, I think that we need to get away from the sort of magic bullet concept of, of technology. I mean, I think there have been some things out there over the years that have been really quite interesting. Case map might have fit that category mm-hmm. um, or fit that description. But as to say, is there something going to come out that's going to change the way all lawyers uh, use technology and make things better? I don't think that's the case. And I think there's part of the mobile app revolution shows that Lawyers do different things and work in different ways. And so there's probably never going to be, again, one type of technology or software that absolutely changes and affects every every lawyer. So I think there are some things bubbling or, uh, along out there. I always think that Document Assembly is going to be a killer app, uh, but I just don't think it's going to happen in 2015. Well, Odds Makers is over, and the odds are that we will now head to our parting shots. And now it's time for our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. Every time that uh, information about a new breach or somebody says that you know Dropbox got compromised or Evernote got compromised or somebody got compromised and that the, the call goes out to make sure you go change all your passwords, there's never been really a more depressing warning than when that happens because just the thought of going to change all your passwords uh, is, is pretty daunting. 
thing. And and I think that the folks at LastPass and and I and the, the other service Dashlane's doing this too. But uh, LastPass is my favorite password manager. They've recognized that it's not a, a a practice you want, and so they've actually introduced this great new feature that will allow you to automatically change your password. Uh, uh, it it has uh, configured uh, for I think the top seventy five websites that are out there. Uh, you just go into your uh, your entry in LastPass for a particular site, say Facebook, and underneath the password it says automatically change this password. It will you click that button, it will log you in, it will automatically change the password and save it into your LastPass account. So it makes uh, the changing lots and lots of passwords at once just a little bit easier. And my parting shot is uh, actually an old favorite. I just heard from from our friend Neil Squalante uh, recently, and it just reminded me that uh, I don't mention technolawyer.com to people often enough. It's it's long been a great resource for lawyers interested in technology, has lots of great information, a chance to talk to, uh, you know, to uh, talk with different people, and, and uh, uh, like I said, reviews, uh you know, practical tips, ideas of what other people are doing. It's just a, it's long been a really great resource and I just wanted to give it a mention again. Uh, but we're out of time, so let's go to the big finish. Tom, uh, are you optimistic or pessimistic after Legal Tech in 2015? Well, despite what it sounds like in this podcast, I tend to think I'm always optimistic. So I'm looking forward to new things coming up next, and next year I think should be no different. Dennis, what's the next technology purchase for you? Well, I think it has to be the Apple Watch, uh, but I, I think I'm committing next year to uh, to more to actually paying for more software and apps. I've just been so happy with the OmniFocus uh, software for me this year. Tom, your next uh, tech purchase. Well, believe it or not, I'm actually at a place now where I don't really need any technology. But, you know, I I have to say I'm awfully interested in the service tablet. So you never know. Dennis, what's your best legal tech tip this year? Oh, boy. The the best legal tech tip tip I have is to go back and look at what my what people were trying maybe 15 or so years ago. I think the technology has changed in terms of how fast things are, what's available on the cloud. And so I think that technologies like Document Assembly are really ready to work for us right now. Tom, your best legal tip? Well, you know, I'm going to use I'm going to say an oldie but a goodie, and and it came up this week when talking with a client. And I'm on an email kick right now, so my favorite tip is something I've been talking about for a long time. It's get a tool that helps you manage your sent items in Outlook better. My favorite tool is called Simply File. It's a great add-in for Outlook, and it really helps you deal with your sent items. Uh, and and last but not least, Dennis, I'll be speaking at a couple of sessions at ABA Tech Show this coming April. Will we see you there? Yes, I'm planning to to be there. And unfortunately, Tom, I don't think you and I get to uh, speak at the same session, but we'll definitely be around and, and people will have the opportunity to say hello to us and uh, maybe even have dinner with us. Absolutely. So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Information on how to get in touch with us, as well as links to all the topics we discussed today, is available in our show notes blog at tkmreport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or on the Legal Talk Network site. You can get to archives of all our previous shows as uh, in both places as well. If you have a question you want answered or a topic from an upcoming podcast, please email us at tkmreport at gmail.com or send us a tweet. I'm at Tom Mile and Dennis is at Dennis Kennedy. 
So until the next podcast, I am Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. Help us out by telling a couple of your friends and colleagues about the podcast. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.